This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Mike Gallagher, a science educator who serves the Oakland Intermediate School District in southeastern Michigan as their MySTEM director, which involves membership in Michigan's statewide MySTEM network. He also leads modeling in Michigan, which annually hosts a suite of intensive three-week summer modeling instruction workshops across the state. Mike started his career as a research geologist at the U.S. Geological Survey. He shifted his career into education after volunteering in student outreach programs and providing professional development to teachers in a variety of venues. He taught earth science and geology in a Washington State high school as well as at the university and community college level. Beginning in 2000, he assumed roles in regional K-12 support agencies first in Washington State and then at Oakland Schools in Michigan. There, in part by building and leveraging partnerships and networks, he has facilitated science program improvements, created instructional resources, and provided professional development for teachers and school leaders. Here's my interview with Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mark. Good to see you. Yeah, you too, man. So uh, I'm excited to talk with you today about what's going on in Michigan and in your life and and uh, how it intersects with the modeling instruction community. So I thought we'd start out by just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your, a little bit about your career, what led you to where you are today. Uh, sure thing. Uh, I currently work in Michigan as uh, a MySTEM director. Michigan has 16 regions that are my STEM region, so I'm serving as the Oakland uh, My STEM director for that network, and uh, I work at Oakland Schools, which is uh, a, an intermediate school district. And in Michigan, we have regional support agencies. Some states have ESDs, we have ISDs, and uh, I've worked there in a, a several different capacities, uh, mostly as a science consultant, and now I'm serving as their My STEM region director, uh, and. Um, Starting around 2014, we, we created a program called Modeling in Michigan, which is a broad collaboration around the state. And I, you know, at some point, I can tell you more about the partnerships and the networks that really have made it work in this state. Um, and I, I came into that role. There's, I think there's quite a history to my background that positioned me to, to um, help uh, instigate and lead this effort. Um, and that is, I, I started my career as a uh, geologist uh, and as a research geologist uh, based out of California and researching the continental margin of North America and uh, also some risk assessment issues. Uh, I had um, opportunities to do some volunteer outreach programs with kids and got a little taste for teaching. And um, as opportunities kind of changed around, I decided to pursue education. And when I went back to school to, to um, get a certificate to teach, I had a, a methods teacher who used constructivist principles in the way he taught the secondary methods 
course that I had to take. Every teacher has to take that to, to learn instructional strategies. So constructivist theories of learning um, manifest themselves with different programs. Modeling is one of them. And modeling is probably the most effective in terms of transforming teaching in, in uh, science at the secondary level across this country. But there are other strands or cousinships out there. So my um, mentor instructor, the professor of that methods class, Jim Stewart, um, was uh, a colleague of some other constructivists such as Arnold Ahrens at the University of Washington and Jim Minstrel at uh, Mercer Island High School who worked with him. And uh, so my exposure to how to teach was an immersion experience in constructivist approaches. So I took that into the classroom. I think my research background uh, made, taught me that the things that I had the most fluency with was the things I researched. And by being engaged in research, I was steeped in the nature of science and how science works as a community, how knowledge is socially constructive, how empiricism works, our, um, our orientation uh, towards skepticism and uh, the premier role of evidence, all those things. And I've you know, as a teacher, that's what I wanted to bring to my students. So I was fortunate because uh, in the early 90s, when I became a teacher, there were no state standards and no state tests, and there wasn't even resources for me. Right. So I had to invent everything I did. And so what I invented was were research projects. Um, and, being, you know, it was kind of supposed to be a physical science class, but we studied watersheds, we studied earthquake risks. I was um, at the time teaching in Washington State. And uh -huh. those were very relevant issues as, weather, as well as weather, um, uh, hazardous weather and risk and those things, uh, natural hazards. Um, they require, uh, they require a solid knowledge in physics and chemistry and some biology. So I, I used the constructivist approaches that Jim Stewart taught me to help students have a good anchor in things like um, motion physics or what Hestinus would, would call uh, the constant velocity model. And so uh -huh, right. we, we built the constant velocity model so we could understand stand, um, stream discharge or plate tectonics motions and those kinds of things. So I had a sort of a merging of uh, constructivist approaches with uh, research, basically. Uh, some people would call it problem-based learning now. Um, what I was doing. So, um, you know, teaching in the classroom with, with uh, that approach was very rewarding, but then I shifted into these roles uh, in regional support agency. I started that in Washington State and then coming to Michigan and working for Oakland schools. Um, I, I had that opportunity to uh, work with grant funds, uh, design and, and implement professional development and curriculum development projects. And um, we had a few different projects before we started modeling that was similarly along the same lines. Um, we were able to compete and win a, um, I think it was in 2006, we won a, um, a math science partnership grant, which is federal funding that goes to each state to support science and math. It tries to leverage partnerships uh, between K-12 and higher ed, and it tries to contribute to the research base on what's effective in professional learning. So um, we started a program called Visions, and um, I think by that time I had I knew about modeling, 
but I knew more about what Jim Stewart was doing in summer programs. He, he used a research called uh, Constructing Physics Understanding that was developed at San Diego State by um, Fred Goldberg, who I think, I think still today creates um, resources to be used at higher ed with teacher prep. Um, Jim used it in summer workshops with teachers, and the, the main objective was to deepen their content knowledge. The target group was fourth to eighth grade teachers, but they, um, they actually drew in a lot of high school physics teachers who knew their content, but wanted to know more about the instructional approach, which was a constructivist approach. So like modeling, it depended on investigations, generation of evidence, like modeling, it, it depended on rich discourse, um, like modeling, the facilitator or the teacher would not be um, lecturing or presenting answers, but helping the learners construct their understanding. Um, so uh, when we when we won the grant and tried to implement the visions program, uh, we um, you know looked at maybe using that resource, but Fred Goldberg had created a new resource that actually could be transferred right into the classroom, which was um, interactions in physical science. And it was a textbook kind of targeting seventh, eighth grade. A lot, it did intersect with like ninth grade physical science and or physics. And uh, one of the authors was a professor at Western Michigan University, uh, Bob Poole. So we hired Bob Poole and then he, um, he uh, encouraged us to hire uh, Dale Freeman um, who was a high school teacher. And they came in and did a workshop that was basically 200 hours long for two years that took mm. our teachers, our partnering teachers, through a, a, a big chunk of that curriculum. So it was similar to the design of a modeling program where it was immersion and prolonged immersion. Michigan, uh, Michigan, Michigan benefits from having a lot of um, very functional collaborative networks. Uh, I'm part of the MySTEM network now. E ISDs collaborate quite a bit. For 25 years, we had an organization called the Mass Science Center Network. And uh, our Oakland Schools was a, a member of that network and we had grant, annual grant funds from the legislature. So what we tended to do in the Detroit areas, um, some partners of mine in Macomb and Wayne, we pooled our funds and we could do workshops and uh, in, in um, 2009, 2010, we started to plan uh, to run some modeling workshops in physics using modeling uh, resources. Because like interactions in physical science, the great thing about that is it had materials that were amenable to, to being adopted by districts as their curriculum, or at least a framework for their curriculum. So we started running those workshops um, kind of low budget. We charged teachers back in those days and we um, we focused on physics for three or four years. Mm -hmm. So modeling has been a part of your uh, Michigan focus for about 11 years now. Talk to me about how the modeling approach has influenced what you guys are doing with your teachers. Well, it's been profound and immense. Uh, we, um, I mentioned that uh, we started uh, our program around 2009, 2010, that was because we discovered some amazing passion in a group called the De Detroit Metropolitan Area Physics Teachers. Uh, and their leader, Alan Gibson, pointed out um, some of my long-term partners, Laura Ritter and Don Pata. And, uh, and we, Don and Laura became our first facilitators. 
we were running that program, one of the things is, as a member of the uh, Mass Science um, Center network is I was recruiting some people around the state. I said, you sh we should figure out a way to do this as a statewide program. Send some of your teachers in. So they started to do that, some of my colleagues across the state. <clears throat> and um, some of my colleagues said, we want to try to do over on the west side of the state what you're doing in the Detroit area. Um, so let's, can we pick your brain about that? And after a few sessions, uh, we decided to uh, compete for another math science partnership grant that the state made available. Um, and we, so we built a statewide collaboration. So to your question, how have we affected the state is it was really about 2013 that we came together as a state and we had partners in the upper peninsula, Northern Michigan, Western Michigan, Southeast Michigan, all coming together to write a proposal. And uh, we won our first grant was, and were able to offer six workshops in one summer all over the state. So uh, instead of it being a very, you know, single workshop in a single region on a single topic like physics, uh, this gave us the platform to first of all be statewide. Second, that year we added chemistry and mm. then we, we actually just kept winning a series of grants from that particular source. And we, um, you know, working on physics and teachers, chemistry teachers isn't enough. So we added biology and we, uh, and we added middle school in our second and third year. And, uh, you know, our big, wow. big goal is to get earth science in, in there. And there's going to be a lot of work that has to happen between now and then for that on that. But, um, so we have uh, the impact we've made on, first of all, you know, judging from your other podcasts, I think you know that when teachers go through one of these workshops, they are transformed as professionals. They're, they're, we impact teacher retention at all levels, you know, and most of our, my in, insights are from anecdotes, but I know teachers who are just at the brink of submitting their papers to retire took a modeling workshop because some of their you know, friends encouraged it and are still teaching 10 years later. Um, I know 29 and 30 year olds who are doing what a lot of people do, planning to transition to a different career and finally realizing what they always wanted out of their teaching experience to, to impact students, to, to empower students, to, to make, help them realize that science is for them because science is, belongs to everybody. It's just that our traditional systems convey a different message. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. we've impacted students because they they come into a, a welcoming environment. Modeling classrooms are explicitly and uh, earnestly trying to work on a culture where people feel safe, exposing their reasoning to one another and to their teacher. And uh, so those so um, our teachers are recognizing that their students um, not just feel welcome, but but are thriving in their science classes. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, some of the more profound examples are when a teacher goes back and and they have a good relations with their uh, colleagues and they're maybe of sem similar philosophy. And over the course of three or four years, one, two, and then all of those colleagues come to workshops. And then you have a student who's entering, say, a high school and only experiences science through modeling pedagogy their whole way through. So this isn't everywhere, but there are examples like West Branch and up north and Roscommon and Gaylord 
some cities where some school districts where every teacher is a modeling teacher. And then when we started to infiltrate the middle schools, some of those students are hitting it in middle school and then proceeding into to high school. So one of the things that's happened is we've had probably 1,200 teachers uh, who have who have uh, taken modeling workshops in uh, over 100 different school districts. Wow. Um, and we've... Um, you know, our, we try to continue to improve and innovate. And one of them, of course, is offering second level workshops. So we have probably 100 to 150 teachers who have gone through second level workshops in the state. It's amazing uh, to hear you sharing the amount of collaboration and coordination across your state. That's uh, pretty unusual from my understanding uh, across the U.S. to have, you know, one state who is so cohesive that way. Um, wow. That's, and, and I assume that your role is primarily coordinating that cooperation in your district area or? Yeah, you know, I serve uh, especially Oakland County. Um, our ISD is uh, the boundaries of our ISD are coincident with the boundary of our county, which is a square just outside of Detroit. So, uh, you know, and I'm involved with many projects besides modeling, but probably modeling is my biggest, most successful project that I'm uh, very strongly committed to. But we serve our districts with helping them um, adopt or design curriculum with their professional development. We consult with them about their systems uh, for supporting uh, science, math, and STEM, computer science, um, K-12. So right. uh, that's my service to our county. My county is best served when, um, you know, the rising tide lifts all ships, the profession evolves, the profession um, uh, establishes norms around the kind of teaching that modeling um promulgates. Uh, and you, you're right. It is Michigan is exceptional in some ways. We're, first of all, exceptional that our legislature supported the Mass Science Center network for 25 years and now supports the MySTEM network, that they support our ISDs, um, um, and that we, we just have great collegial collaborative relationships and supporting many projects across the state, you know, years of that. That positions us to, to compete for grants. Um, so those grants are um, sometimes made available through the state. Sometimes they're federal funds. Now we're using MyStem uh, council grants um, that require uh, contributions from other MyStem regions to pool money to create a consortia. Um, so I think that is one thing. You know, our partnerships, uh, we include higher ed. Like I mean, Eastern Michigan University is probably our most enduring partner with this grant. But we've had uh, participation from faculty at the University of Michigan and uh, Grand Valley State University and Oakland University. Um, AMTA is a huge partner. I mean, we couldn't do this without AMTA. They, when we started this, uh, Mark, we had to import all of our facilitators from other places other than Don and Laura who were doing physics. And those, those, you know, those great teachers that uh, came in here and uh, provided us with modeling workshops, became mentors for uh, our Michigan teachers. One of our, when you write a mass science partnership grant, you had to have a sustainability plan. So one of our challenges was like, how are we going to grow our own facilitators? Because we need to, we need to be able to run these less expensively than flying people in, putting them in hotels, giving them a rental car for three weeks. We need, we need Michigan-based facilitators. 
So our second year, we started a um, program, a project called the Aspiring Modeling Facilitators Academy. And ah. Don, Don and Laura offered a week-long workshop for people. Um, we got a lot of people who signed up for that, too, by the way. We did a workshop in the summer, and then we positioned people as apprentices in our uh, workshops. Uh, and we, we thought carefully about what that meant, that meant. It didn't mean that they were a TA going into the other room mixing chemicals. They actually had to have experiences practicing, facilitating, and leading. Um, so... Um, now we have that network as well. There are really our, it's a shared leadership among our facilitators and then the people that, uh, you know, these various organizations. Does the AMTA still provide you with some instructors for workshops? And they, they do a number of things. They can, yeah, I think, I think so considerably if we were to, to need, we're kind of the point now where all of our workshops could could run with Ma, with Ma, uh, Michigan-based facilitators. Sometimes uh -huh. we still want to bring in some great people from other states. Uh, but uh, another another way they partner with us is our framework adaptations. So I think one of the other things that has made us um, successful and sustained uh, commitments uh, to us is that we're, we are committed to innovate to improve and adapt. So another big windfall for us was adopting the next generation science standards. I don't know mm. if you've talked about that at any length with any other podcasts. We have, we, it comes up from time to time. Yes. It's been great for modeling because yeah. it, you know, on one level it's validated what modelers have been doing since the nineties because right. uh, you know, we're, there's a little headwind when a teacher goes back and says, you know, I'm not going to be lecturing to students or, giving them, you know, study guides with answers on them. I want, I believe that they need to construct their own conclusions. There's a lot of headwind with administrators and other teachers, but the NGSS has, has really helped us validate, uh, and, you know, that kind of immersion experience for students where they're, the NGSS, the vision is that students develop proficiency doing science. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, it also created uh, some constraints against modeling because the, the disciplinary core ideas, what we call the DCIs, are sometimes different than uh, differently organized than they are in the modeling frameworks. Um, in particular, biology. Um, so the AM, you know AMTA helped us partner with uh, redesigning biology to align to the next generation science standards. We started using a framework that you know, significantly emphasize the concepts around classification when classification not only are not in the NGSS, they weren't even in our Michigan standards previous to the NGSS. So while it's brilliantly designed and part of the storyline, you know, we had to figure out a way to serve what um, learning is occurs through there, which is really about evolution, and do it in a way that serves the DCIs of the NGSS. And similarly, a lot of districts were shifting toward a physical science class because that's the way the next generation science standards were organized. Mm -hmm. um, and to accommodate that, we worked with AMTA, Colleen McGowan initially, uh, Rex Rice, um, and uh, Larry Dukerich all got in, into that program. Um, Phil Root, uh, who was one of our chemistry mentors in the state, they helped us uh, work out a framework for a physical science class. We continue to work on that and improve it. 
Um, and now we have physical science workshops. We we still believe in that mechanics workshop because that's really the the origin of it all, and it's particularly brilliant. Um, the storyline that Larry Dukerich created for chemistry is I don't want to touch it. It's so amazing. Um, and some people might take issue with some alignment issues, but I, um, I I think we all embrace the idea of starting where the student is. And if the student is at unit zero, that's where we're starting with them. We're starting with unit zero <laughs> and uh, building it, building their comprehension that way. We definitely depend on AMTA as a big partner. My wife was a co-author on the chemistry curriculum. Oh, really? Oh, you yeah. should be proud of that. Brenda Royce, yeah. She and Larry worked for quite a long time to end yeah, developing I, it. Well, I, I told some people at this podcast, they'd never heard of you, but they didn't know of Brenda. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not a uh, science person. I'm, I've been involved in production and tech for years, and uh, it's because of my wife that I – started this podcast when I started realizing the uh, impact that modeling has had and and uh, the influence that she was finding, how it transforms a classroom, I thought, you know, we need to share this a little more. So that's why Excellent. we built this. That's a yeah. huge contribution. Yeah, well, uh, it's been really fun for me. I learned something every time. <laughs> so it's great. So uh, you said this. You said – Teachers do better when they can practice using a set of effective talk moves that achieve several important goals, clarity, uh, you know, expansion of ideas, listening to others, deeper reasoning. Can you kind of dig into that, what you mean when you say talk moves? I think that would be very interesting to understand. I think that's really important. Um, one of the things we, uh, okay, so this is something you got to know about me, Mark. I, I think I might be in the Guinness Book of Records on this. I have been in and out of 46 different modeling workshops in the last decade. I don't know if there's anybody else who's visited <laughs> as many modeling workshops. And it positions wow. me to notice and, and cross-pollinate among a lot of different groups. So yeah. one of the first things I noticed is there, there was a lot of different approaches to, to supporting discourse and talk in the classroom. And um, I had some um, uh, some fluency in this because, you know, as I said, going back to my own methods class in 1991-92, my professor used some version of talk moves and supported talk and discourse. And then some of my colleagues, we had an interdisciplinary program once called My Class where we we had ELA, math, science, social studies, and we, we uh, used uh, insights from the Strategic Literacy Initiative out in California, and, and one of them was resources around talk. And um, one of the things that we came away with after the first year is we need to have a standard across Michigan where every work, every workshop participant gets the same benefit and the same level of, of quality facilitation no matter which workshop they're in. The first year, we actually had three physics workshops and three chemistry workshops. So that's hmm six different facilitators involved. And you know what? They all brought their own kind of brilliance. And we learn from just gathering the eclectic approaches of people. But but here's what I noticed in those earlier years is we were counting on something close to osmosis to as a learning theory for how a teacher would go back and do talk moves with their kids. Basically, we thought that the theory of, of uh, change would be that they go immerse themselves into a well-facilitated experience 
then they can stand up and go back and do that with their students. And what we found, we, because we do every year we do Saturday follow-ups with people, we bring people back together, is they were trying, they believed in it, but they were struggling. And um, one of the benefits of the NGSS is uh, some other people were doing homework on that. Um, out of Clark University, partnering with, with Turk in Massachusetts, uh, um, Sarah Michaels and Kathy O'Connor gathered what they saw with good teaching and they organized something called the Talk Science Primer. And as you mentioned, it was organized around four, four goals and 13 talk moves. And it, they created this nice document. And really what it was for us, it was a framework that we could use consistently across the state and we could provide it to teachers so that they had something to anchor their beginning learning on. You know, and eventually people figure out their own way of doing things and they might drift and refine into a way that's very, very um, kind of personal for them that allows their identity to come through. But you got to start with some handholds. And what we did is uh, we did a book study on with the facilitators in, in one uh, spring on the Talk Science Primer and another book uh, that we call The Five Practices. It's short for a very long title. I think it's Five Practices in Orchestrating Productive Talk in, in Science. We use that book too. And we studied those books and we agreed that we would use those in our, in our workshops. And um, we try to, uh, almost every year we've been able to do a facilitator retreat. So we kind of revisit these agreements we have and we um, share resources and network and share innovations. And so I think that's been super profound. And the good thing about NGSS is it's all through, also leaked through a number of other resources. I first encountered it through an NSTA um, webinar when soon after NG, NGSS was um, created, the NSTA, the National Science Teachers Association, had these focused webinars and Sarah uh, Michaels was on a webinar and I, that's where I grabbed it. And then later there was a, uh, a professional development product called NGSX that Sarah Michaels was part of co-developing with Brian Reiser uh, out of Northwest University. Um, it was a, it's a five-day workshop. It's amenable to modeling. Uh, the difference is it doesn't use a specific content uh, that is the teachers are in there and they're going to necessarily teach that content. They, they focus on air pressure in particular, and it's great if you teach air pressure, but if you don't, you have to translate it to whatever you teach. But the good thing about that workshop is it really um, forwards the, the talk science primer and the talk moves. So mm. I think that's one of, we, we've got a long list of innovations that I think have improved our uh, effectiveness. And, you know, like going back to the, the Aspiring Modeling Facilitators Academy, I think we have really turbocharged the pace between when a teacher takes their first workshop to when they can become an effective facilitator. Uh, AMTA likes to hold a five-year uh, standard, but I think they're ready to go in about three years because of things like using the Talk Science Primer and the Apprentice model that we have. 
We'll get back to my interview with Mike in just a bit, but I want to take a moment to let you know that the AMTA is busy planning and promoting upcoming summer workshops and courses. If you have friends or colleagues who have been curious about the things you're doing in your classroom, or if you've been getting questions about why you've stocked up on bowling balls and coffee cans and such for your class, please forward them this information about the workshops and virtual courses. Get the information to share at bit.ly slash AMTA Summer 21. That's bit.ly slash AMTA Summer 21. bit.ly slash AMTA Summer 21. The AMTA is also starting a new series called Meet a Modeler. This month, they're featuring Gary Aba Jr., who's been modeling since 2008. He has experience using the modeling curriculum in high school chemistry, physics, and biology. Visit AMTA's Facebook or Twitter page to see a video where he shares a digitized energy bar chart that you can use in your classroom. I'd like you to share some of the, just a few of the the big tips, the big ahas and uh, takeaways that you've discovered for use in the classroom. So uh, I, I think that's always an interesting question to ask our guests. And uh, I think our listeners gain a lot from hearing, you know, that information. So share with us some tips for the classroom. Okay. Um, I, I would imagine from your other podcast, some of these tips have already been aired. But uh, one of the biggest ones is um, uh, don't short the investment of time in building classroom culture. Uh, mm. So building classroom culture is, uh, there are a lot of ways to do it. And there's a lot of innovations that have come from our, the teachers that go back and uh, use modeling and our facilitators, even in our workshops. So um, the, the students have to be ready to feel safe to turn their brains inside out and expose their reasoning. You know, if a teacher is saying, say more about this. Can you clarify what you're saying? What's your evidence? Those are our talk moves. It's very uh, risky for students to be that, you know, safe. And um, so so teachers have to invest in um, in a classroom culture that is, um, is respectful, that is equitable and focused on reasoning. Um, those ideas, those three principles actually come from uh, Kathy O'Connor and uh, Sarah Michaels and uh, some of their talk science uh, publications. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing about that is don't think you're done if you just spend the first couple of days doing that. Or for some teachers, they might say it's it's really two or three weeks or a month before they take on content really seriously. Because if they short shrift the, the investment in culture, they have a tough year all year long with students just withholding and not talking. Right. So um, visit it over and over again. We had a workshop. Uh, we didn't run our, our normal workshops last summer because of COVID, but one of our physical science workshop in 2018 really lived into that. They did something about culture every single morning pretty much throughout their whole three weeks. And huh. uh, I would come in and just find, you know, I'm, I'm an outsider kind of coming in on these environments, but I, I just felt like I was at a family reunion or something by the second week. And, you know, I've never seen a group of people who could just find so much comedy and 
you know, Newton's second law as this group could. <laughs> and so it really pays off. So that is one thing. Um, another thing, um, and uh, this is something that we've, we continue to work on is uh, if you're going to support a discourse session, some people call them a board meeting because we, we come to the, to the uh, a meeting in a circle with two by three foot whiteboards and student mm -hmm. groups have put their models on there is uh, as a facilitator leading that discussion, know where you're going. Um, and in particular, to use the model, language of the modeling cycle is understand what the target model is. Uh, the target model in most cases might be weeks in the development, but for this particular board meeting, you're building a component of that target model. Know what it is and know where you're going uh, so that your talk moves can um, cr you know, help shape the conversation, the student thinking, so that they can make, you can, you can make sure they're anchoring their ideas and evidence and developing concepts that are toward that model. I would say also another one that relates to um, discourse and the support of discourse is when you're bringing students together for a discourse session, understand the purpose of that conversation. So it may sound like it's the same thing as the target model, but it's really a little different. So if we're starting a unit and we're, we're going to just surface our, our ideas, the purpose really is to surface our preconceived ideas about something. And therefore, your approach as a facilitator is going to be different than it might be later in the unit when you're working with evidence or even later still when you're um, uh, developing a consensus around the, the driving question. Sure. So that first conversation, you would, you would uh, refrain from ever correcting a student or refrain from challenging their ideas uh, as much as trying to get the ideas to bounce across the room. And that's a different stance than uh, when you just came out of the lab and you have a bunch of evidence. If a student is is making a conclusion that doesn't align with the evidence, well, you know, that needs to be something they contend with. So you might, you wouldn't say that they're wrong. You would just say, Tell, show me how the evidence supports your idea. You know, or you would especially reach across the room and say, does it, um, how would somebody else uh, rephrase what that student said? Who can rephrase that and anchor into the evidence? And then the students might say, well, what they're saying is this, but I don't necessarily agree with that. So that move you wouldn't do when you're, you're at that first stage of um, surfacing our first ideas. Right. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, Yes. So know the purpose of the conversation. Um, understand where you are in the modeling cycle and what the target model is. Uh, those would be key things. Don't underestimate um, the investment in classroom culture and don't think you're done with it. Right. Yeah. I had another little quote from you. When you and you mentioned the idea of back pocket questions. Share with us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so that is a phrase we use to mean, um, you know, as you plan that discourse session, uh, I mean, teachers would be ill-advised to just wing it, right, to sit down, to not know where they're going, to um, just see what the conversation leads, because then, you know, then it's just becomes too um, unwieldy and unproductive. So one of the things that a phenomenon that can happen 
is the, the conversation plateaus. The students are coming in, maybe they've got a, the model drawn, they've got data presented, they can talk about the model, they've gone to a certain level of conclusion, and it's, it's sound, but it's fairly basic. So the back pocket question is your strategy to deepen the conversation. So, um, and here's one of the things that the NGSS has offered us is the cross-cutting concepts. So um, the NGSS is organized into three dimensions. There's the knowledge dimension called the disciplinary core ideas, the science and engineering practices, which is how we do science, and the cross-cutting concepts, which are cross-cutting because they're universal. Every science uses these concepts. There's seven of them. Um, one, for example, is patterns. One is cause and effect. Another is system and system models. Um, equilibrium and change, those kinds of ideas. So a great place to get a back pocket question is drawing from those cross-cutting concepts. That's not the only source, but you might say, you might go a, like a deeper question about causation, you know, or you might um, say, um, what is, you know, we've been talking about this experiment, maybe it's a cart moving down a, a slope, but what is the system? You know, what? how would we define the system? You know, and that's a, that's a little bit of a higher level question. You know, students are going to struggle with this, and you kind of hope they do. You hope that there's a, a diversity of views out there, right? Um, you know, or always add, adding energy into it. You know, like you could have a fairly straightforward uh, system you're looking at. It could be an eco ecological system. could be something in a Petri dish, right? And then when you throw in, where is the, is there, where is the energy involved in this, is there, is there an energy transformation? Is there a source of energy? Is there energy emitted? Um, and, you know, modelers like to use what they call LOL diagrams to show account for how energy has changed. That's a back pocket question. Um, hmm. When I, you know, we've done some video of uh, Don Pata's classroom and he's masterful at this. And uh, one he might say is, um, okay, we've got our data but let's put some units on that data, you know? So go back, or what is a function that describes that? What kind of function would describe that relationship? Because right now we're just looking at it, patterns in a graph, you know, but what happens if we put units on this? Uh, and some, you know, sometimes it's like patently obvious, or do you think it would be? Other times it's kind of tricky, you know? And so the back, you know, remember the third goal of the talk science primer is to deepen reasoning. So when we when we can predict that we're going to be at a plateau, let's let's push our reasoning a little bit deeper and give our kids confidence that, man, they can they can do science, right? They can think deep about these things. Mm -hmm. We just got to give them the chance. Yeah, gosh, that's really great stuff. Um, this has been fascinating for me, um, Mike. Is there anything that you thought we might talk about that we haven't? or something that you would like to share with our listeners? I did listen to David Hestinus, and I never have met him. Um, but, you know, we stand on the shoulder of giants here in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, uh, what Malcolm Wells and, and David created for us all is, is just uh, incredible. Mm. I felt validated by listening to some things he said that um, uh, that I think we have talked about in Michigan and feel are important. Uh, one of them um, is that, 
one of the things he said is that teachers should be paid. I think one of the keys in Michigan, you know, uh, if I were to sum it up, is that we do have, we're lucky to have that state funding, but we also have always, one of the reasons we've we've uh, competed for such uh, large grants is because we want to pay teachers. We want we want to support their travel. Uh, they're driving sometimes long distance. We like to, here's we can pay mileage. We like to do that. We put them in hotels. Sometimes a third or more of our teachers are in hotels for three weeks. Um, so, um, and he talked about funding too. Uh, he, he was suggesting that funding uh, needed, needed to shift to the private sector rather than um, public funding. You know, he's competing for NSF grants. I, I partly agree with that. I think Michigan has benefited because we have committed, uh, our state has continuously committed funds for programs in Michigan. So um, I, I, I felt uh, a strong agreement that that a stable, more stable funding uh, would would make us better as a, as a nation, you know, to invest mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing he said that was validating is his the research they found about these workshops needed to be three weeks. And mm. there are more like shorter workshops that are occurring because they get more teachers in the, in the, the workshops. But I think if you, if we, if we were to pay them their full salaries, uh, we wouldn't have problems getting teachers in and we wouldn't need to shorten workshops. There's no question in my mind and our team in Michigan is that we, these, especially a first level workshop needs to be three weeks long. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I would say those uh, those tenets are really important. Um, I don't know if there's anything particularly coherent about that, but. Well, um, I think, you know, I've heard uh, from others that it's been a little frustrating to have to shorten workshops, but the, the compromise comes out of the fact, like you mentioned, people can't afford to do it. Uh, there's not funding available from some districts to support teachers going to the workshops and things. So, but uh, what you're saying is very, very valid. And uh, so a big part of the challenge is to find the funding and to, to be able to resource teachers to participate. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if, if there's a, um, you know, that's what consortiums come in. Maybe there's some public funding. You know, I guess one of the things that I would love this podcast to impact is other uh, people wanting to instigate and lead such programs. Uh, One thing that would be just really uh, wonderful and important is if the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education, could uh, restore funding that was focused on STEM. Uh, You know, they had the Mass Science uh, Partnership grants with No Child Left Behind that were very productive. Uh, before that, they had Eisenhower funds, which I believe were mainly focused on science. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sometimes what they're doing now is they're lumping things into broader, broader categories. And then science education has a tougher time really having those kind of focused, impactful programs. Um, and similarly, uh, if states were to focus some f- significant funding that took into the account the need to compensate teachers and incentivize participation and to build it systemically um, with that kind of, you know, long-term support, then these kind of movements that were that are, were experienced in Michigan could happen in other states. Mm, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really key. Higher ed is really critical. Uh, we were fortunate to have a great partner in uh, 
the associate dean in uh, science education and physics uh, education, Beth Kabutsky at Eastern Michigan University. She's been an enduring partner with us. She was actually offering some physics um, modeling workshops at her university. Uh, now we're working with her this year to build a module that will be inserted this spring into her methods class uh, at her university. And she's a, she's a leader across the state. So she, she has a voice with other methods teachers in all the universities across our state. And that resource will be shared with them. Um, we've also talked about um, building out systems where um, pre-service teachers who are training to become teachers can come to modeling workshops with their cooperating teacher, or at least be pathwayed into classrooms where the teacher who's who they're really being mentored by significantly in their student teaching is a modeling teacher. Right. Um, it's kind of a travesty for the universities to promote modeling and various forms of inquiry-based science, only to have their teacher, their their student teacher, go in and and um, accompany a teacher who is delivering content didactically and presenting content to kids and not using strategies we know are proven effective. It's it's a kind of undermines the whole thing. So our you know our partnerships with higher ed have tremendous potential to systematize what we're doing so that students arrive, you know, I, I think, you know, they arrive in the classroom more ready to go. Uh, one of the things that we've, we've experienced is, uh, you know, when we, one of the things about our programs, we do applications, teachers apply to attend. And so we are looking at these profiles of teachers to make sure their teacher who's going to impact as many kids as possible. Uh, to do that, to do that, they have to have a job teaching in a district in the content of the workshop. If it's a biology workshop, they need to be teaching biology. We've had several young teachers. We've had open seats, so we bring in a young teacher, and it's amazing to follow them over five years. First of all, they want to come to more workshops, and in five years, instead of being one of those teachers getting ready to transfer out of, um, out of teaching, they're doubling down on their commitment. They're popular. They're successful. Yeah. So getting that wow. induction, you know, that induction phase is kind of mm -hmm. critical. It brings them back to the reasons they wanted to teach in the first place. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, uh -huh. I can think of some faces of people who said that to us. Can yeah. I tell you about one other issue? Sure. So as we got a couple years into doing our modeling in Michigan program from 2014 on, uh, we brought it into middle school, which was phenomenal for those teachers. We have a great movement around middle school. Uh, simultaneously, we had this middle school dilemma, and that is middle school is a grade band. So when we we offered a workshop in modeling in middle school science, we were addressing teachers who came from sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. You know, some of them only taught sixth grade, some teach all grades. They're all in different districts, and they have different curricula. And, and what can we do in three weeks? We can really only do um, four units at most, at, okay? And so we have to pick maybe a unit in physical science, a unit in biology, and a unit in earth science, maybe. Right. And um, so those teachers, they, you know, they love, they thrive in the workshop, but when they go back and their teaching assignment is sixth grade, they might only get to use one of those four units that we um, shared with them. And that sort of undermines one of the 
you know the big strengths of these this program and that is you you're immersed in, a, in a, units and materials that you get to take back to your classroom right like if you're in chemistry you're going to go through you know eight or nine units those are the exact same topics you teach in your classroom you can right. use those exact units so that's the middle school dilemma now we never had anybody complain in middle school in fact they are effusive in how our workshops have transferred their sense of teaching and whatever they're working with, they figure out a way to modelize it and make it work for them. But one of the innovations that we struck upon is we partnered with a incredible problem-based uh, NGSS aligned curriculum called MyStar. It's from the Michigan Tech, Michigan Technological University, uh, Michigan Tech in the Upper Peninsula. And it's being used all over the state. In fact, in Oakland County, uh, 18 or 19 of our 28 districts are using MyStar. And in those districts are a lot of people who use modeling. So uh, we advocate for that curriculum, but we also noted that if a modeling teacher is using the curriculum, they would do some, they would shift some things and do some things differently. So we established a partnership with MyStar and started workshops that we call Modeling with MyStar. And the benefit of that is well, we can have a sixth grade workshop or a seventh grade workshop, and every teacher who's coming from a MyStar district is, is having full immersion in the very units that they will teach back when they go back to their classroom. Do you wow. see the strength of that? Oh, yeah, yeah, modeling with MyStar. To get ready, we worked with the MyStar curriculum team to modelize their units. So what does that mean? It's, it's very interesting work, actually. First of all, their units are brilliant. They are all centered around a real-world 21st century challenge. Pandemic was one of their units. Yeah. A pandemic scenario was built into their curriculum. Water quality, air quality, the built environment, all these things that we're, our society is going to deal with is our anchor their units. They're, they're called unit challenges. And then uh, they start with the... You know, surfacing the unit challenge, and they finish with doing something within with the engineering standards to to solve the unit challenge. And in between, they do constructivist science learning. But one one of the things that was missing from that is they um, they did not have the talk and discourse structured in to the degree that we would in a modeling workshop. They didn't necessarily use the modeling cycle or identify the target model. So when we modelize them, you know, we're, we're still using their activities, but we might find that, um, you know, we need to be more specific about the target model, which is an important science concept. We might find that the storyline uh, has too big of a leap from, you know, stage C to stage D. So we need to insert a new investigation. We definitely need to insert discourse and whiteboard sessions or board meetings. Um, and they're wonderful to work with because they're just a learning organization like we are. Um, they have a great platform to build upon and they're wonderful to um, collaborate with. So our modeling leaders in middle school are, have been embarking on that and we're kind of chipping away at modeling uh, the, the MyStar units. Um, we did one pilot in 2018 for sixth and seventh grade. And this summer, we're going to repeat that, move it to a different part of the state, and then we're going to add eighth grade. And then as the years go by, we hope to have a sixth grade workshop, a seventh grade workshop, and uh -huh. eighth grade workshop. And that's yeah. our solution to the middle school dilemma. Yeah. We still, this summer, we're hoping to 
you know, if we can be face to face or one way or another, we're going to do it. But we're, we're still going to have a, a modeling and middle school workshop for non-MyStar teachers because not everybody is a MyStar district. But I, it's just a fabulous uh, collaboration that has just uh, had wonderful success so far and more promising success. You guys are on to something that uh, my wife and others have shared with me that is a problem when uh, teaching in high school, physics, chemistry, biology, and modeling approach, when you have students coming into ninth grade that haven't had any exposure to a modeling style instruction, uh, it takes a while to get them used to it, you know, and so to begin with the the middle school and so those kids are already in the flow of that kind of learning uh, it's really powerful so can you imagine being a biology teacher in 10th or 11th grade and having a, a student walk in who's been modeling since sixth grade oh my and and you start your culture building and you say okay uh -huh. let's go this investigation let's let's develop our model put your model on the whiteboard and let's have a conversation we're already hearing about that you know, we hear about it from high school teachers who, whose students, even just for one year, went through a modeling in uh, middle school. Wow. And, uh, you know, they say, what do you notice? And they're just like popping out there. And I agree. I disagree. I'd like to build on that. You know, they, they know how to do it. And you know what they're doing? They're doing science. They're, be yeah. they're scientists. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Gosh, it's awesome. It is. Well, Mike, it has been uh, really inspiring and, and enlightening to talk with you. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. It's been great. Mark, you're, you're a great contribution to our community with this. I, I poked through a few of your podcasts and uh, it's, it's, it's creating some uh, glue and mortar across the country uh, to help to support us. Oh, I'm very appreciative. Well, thanks, man. It's been my pleasure. Pretty soon you're going to be as fam famous as Brenda. Uh, <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get you. No, it's, it's been great. Well, uh, we will we'll talk again, I'm sure. And uh, it, it would be fun to revisit some of the things that are happening in Michigan again with you in the future. Cool. That would be great. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.